And so I learned, while researching this book, that James Madison was a man of great contradictions, a prolific writer who struggled with public speaking, a man too sickly for military service, who led America through its first major war, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, James Madison, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes. So, Dr. Nair, was James Madison really ugly? He was not renowned for his physical pulchritude, but no, he wasn't uncommonly unattractive. So, when the British burned down the White House in 1814, why did Dolly Madison save a portrait of George Washington, but not her own husband? To preserve a potent symbol of American military victory. Plus, it had a higher resale value. Are there any more questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for People Who Can't Afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President Number Four. James Madison. So now it is time to talk about James Madison and um, <laughs> a chuckle. That gets a chuckle out of our presidentialists. Your historians for today's episode, Laura Ashley Pierce and Chelsea Deneau. Okay, so we knew that... Okay, so Adams... You are championing him because he deserves it. Jefferson, you're kind of kicking him in the shins because he deserves it. What was the giggle when you mentioned Madison? I like that we're the same height. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's, that's a very fabulous fact. And what is that height, Chelsea? Yeah, well, how tall are you? 5'4". Five, 5'2". Oh. <laughs> wow, am I taller than James Madison? <laughs> I mean, that'd be wonderful. I hope you I are. I mean, but... is... Does it make the so, fact worse, though, if you're taller than yeah, James so, Madison? Yeah, so just to be clear, no, though, like he was better. very short. I actually that's, like him that's better That's what we're at getting that at. My understanding is he is the shortest of our presidents. He is, and there's nothing wrong with being no, short. No, 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 no. To all you short people out there. I mean, 5'4 is not that short for a woman, though, Chelsea. Thank you. No, I mean, 5'5 five, five is average. Although he was smaller than Dolly, was he not? Yes, so true. Smaller uh, in height and in personality. <laughs> So was Dolly the second wife, or did he marry late? Yeah, he just married late. And yeah, she she was married before him. Um, the best kind. So... <laughs> Hello. Get the money up front and make sure they die under mysterious circumstances. That sounded awfully authoritative. I mean, that's what I always say. Actually, though, let's look at Washington, too. Moving on to Madison. Okay, I'm going to throw out this uh, potentially inflammatory statement and see how you respond. Wasn't he kind of our first chicken hawk president? What is meant by chicken hawk? Uh, Warlike without being... Right, like being a hawk but pretending like you're not. Right. You know, just not even... More willing to send... Yeah, more willing to send other people into war than to fight himself. Yeah, I would... I also feel like... um, Madison, I mean, he was very young during the revolution, so I don't mm-hmm. think he even qualified to fight necessarily. 
Would he have, though? Although there weren't any qualifications. You could fight if you were 12 in the revolution. Right. <laughs> Let's be real. Did, was he they probably like, would have taken eight-year-olds, and they just couldn't carry the guns. You just can't. Sort of like the, the aristocratic uh, class who basically said, we, we obviously can't go to fight, so we'll let the um, uh, working class go and fight for us. Wow, we'll, that's we'll a trend give, in history. We'll give you some money. Yeah, <laughs> Never I seen mean, that happen yeah, before. I mean, who knew that the, the wealthy didn't want to go to war? We pretty much started the War of 1812. This was all almost all Madison's idea, was it not? He just sent a... This was the first war declared by Congress, was it not? Yes. There, you know, there's certainly a defense to be said, you know, that we were provoked. Um, it's not like it was random, right? It, it certainly wasn't random. Right. Um, and, you know, other options were tried, like trade embargoes and things like that. That, you know, always worked well. out really well the first time. So let's try them again. But, yeah, I mean, I think there were no qualms about declaring another war. You know, at that point, like, people were maybe itching for another fight. Yeah, it's um, like especially considering it was, you know, it was the British again. So, like, let's prove that we can do it. Like, the first time wasn't a fluke. We didn't just win because France helped us. Like, yeah, you probably did. But you did. But, <laughs> so they had to prove that. And, and so, you know, I, I do think that people were maybe a little bit more eager for a fight than they would have been otherwise, um, you know, to try to, like, live up to expectations and to, like, prove their mettle. And the War of 1812 began to, you know, to seal a 20th century term and stick it on the 19th in a wave of irrational exuberance. Ooh, let's build gunboats. Ooh, let's invade Canada. That'll be easy. <laughs> and fun. It'll work out really well. It won't be anything like invading right. Russia. <laughs> See, they're much more dark. polite than the Russians. So. That went really dark. So, like, we would be starving up there, and then they would give us a blanket and some Tim Hortons. And then... <laughs> right. That's what Canadians do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which was not the case, by the way. <laughs> it, was, it was much more similar to invading Russia than you might think. Yes, Tim Hortons was not <laughs> even around, unfortunately. We really did not know how to fight a naval war at the time. <laughs> no. We kept designing the wrong type of boat, as I recall. We kept designing gunboats when frigates would have been a lot more useful to we, fight the British. We didn't really know. <laughs> we didn't really know how to have a navy until yeah. like maybe the end of World War 1, maybe. Like even the Civil War and we'll get to yeah, this I mean, I'm I sure gonna, when we I talk was to say Lincoln. around Teddy Roosevelt. Right. He Great was a big fleet. fan of the navy, so Hey, gang, anybody hungry? I made some snack cakes in the White House kitchen. Thanks, Mrs. Madison. Oh, please, call me Dolly. Goodness, I wonder what could be taking Jenny so long with the Congress. I hope it's going well. Uh-oh, doesn't sound like it is. Here he comes. Hello, Dolly. Hey, what are all you mugs hanging around for? This is the Oval Office, not a public square. Hey! Oh, Jimmy, just because Congress is giving you a hard time, it doesn't mean you have to take it out on your friends. Oh, I guess you're right. Hey, you know what would cheer me up? If you made another tray of these snack cakes, put arsenic in them, and serve them at a Federalist convention. Jimmy, don't talk like that. It would be murder. Yeah, well, Tommy Jefferson would have done it if he'd had the gumption. Say, what's the use of being president if you can't run the country the way you want? 
The merchants are violating my trade embargo. The Indians are massacring our settlers. And the British aren't just seizing our ships. They're sitting up in Canada, just itching to get their white gloves back on their former colonies. The way the Federalists talk, you'd think the American Revolution was a big joke. But, Jimmy, we're our own country with our own constitution. Why, you yourself wrote the Bill of Rights for it. Yeah, well, I should have written a Bill of Wrongs for all the good it's done us. America. Born in 1776 during a war, died in 1812 during a... Hey, wait a second. I know what we'll do. Let's put on a war! Uh, a war? Are you sure we can win a war, Jemmy? Why couldn't we? We licked the Brits before, we'll do it again! Sure, they've got a standing army, the world's biggest navy and tons of money, but we have something they don't. Uh, slaves? Not that, Bertie. Well, not just that, but we've got good old-fashioned American know-how. Josh, you designed some gunboats. Don't you mean frigates? You can call them pink pantaloons as long as they have enough firepower to take on the redcoats. Bobby, you go scare up some state militias. Who needs a standing army when you've got Marylanders with muskets? Tippy, you love killing engines. Time to go kill some more. And Billy, you're going to invade Canada. Invade Canada? But it's so big. Exactly! It's big, empty, and just ready to be filled up with American pioneers. Will they own slaves? We'll worry about that later, Bertie. Okay. I'll tell you, with guns in our hands and God on our side, there's no way the Brits can beat us. We're going to start a war that'll set the house on fire. Ooh, sounds swell, Jemmy, but there's just one thing missing. A song. A song? You mean like... A national anthem? Exactly! Something to rally the citizens. Oh, golly, Dolly. I write laws, not songs. Where are we going to get a song that'll inspire everyone to fight in the War of 1812? Hey, I was in a tavern and heard a drinking song I can adapt into a swell anthem. Well, if it isn't Francis Scott Key, let's hear your song. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Uh, okay, okay, kind of a dirge. Save it for later. Come on, gang. We've got a war to declare. Yay! The War of 1812... His big achievement, okay, his big quote achievement, close quotes, it really turned on to just a small number of battles. It went rather badly for the United States, except for, you know, there were a couple of naval battles on, I want to say Lake Erie, but that sounds Ooh. utterly ridiculous. Commodore Hazard Perry. Yes. Drink his beer. <laughs> I'm sure it's very tasty. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, the Battle of New Orleans, in which Andrew Jackson pretty much cements his uh, status as uh, a future president. Yeah, basically allows himself to become president in the Unfortunately. future. Unfortunately. used to be that all you, all you had to do to become president was, you know, win a big battle. Win one big battle. I mean... It was a very convenient way to be yeah. able to become president. It, it, a lot it, of people have done this. It helps that the, the war was already over at that point, so it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if he had lost, but conveniently he didn't.
All right, careful now, Mr. President. Uh, this room looks safe enough. Oh, mind that hole in the floor, Mrs. Madison. <coughs> Swamp me, Dolly. Those limeys torched almost everything. <laughs> it's contemptible, Jim. Heavens, look at what's become of the armoire. Just the legs left. And the brass knobs. I, oh, God, that's hot, merciful God. Why on earth are you two folks coming here? The British could come back at any time, and that ceiling looks like it could collapse in a moment. Yeah, yeah, I had to come back. It's important. They'll rebuild this executive mansion, but... Grander than before, I wager. Of course, but that will take some time, and I had to retrieve some items here that uh, someone neglected to gather and take with her. Jim, you weren't there. The British were already across the river. There was panic everywhere, everyone running and yelling. I scarcely had time to lace my petticoat. Oh, that's true, sir. Scarcely anything left to the imagination. What was going on? I didn't know what to gather and save. It was all confusion. I shudder to think of it. Didn't know? Uh, before I left for Brookville, I gave you a list. A list? You mean those scribblings? Pardon me, my dear, but you did not write this is what to salvage in case of fire. I would have thought that was evident in the circumstance. Uh, do you still have it? I gave it to Jennings. Jennings? Uh, still have it, Mr. President. Take care of my balloon. Uh, that that, that's beloved. Uh, yes, I see the ink is a little smudged. My beloved, that my proud works are preserved... Enumerated as follows. 1. Executive order for slave amalgamation stratagem, including emancipation, graduated reparations, accelerated literacy program, and employment placement for former slaves. Huh. Well, how about that? Just an idea. Sure. 2. Proposal to Congress for subsidies for plantations converting to wage-based operations, incentivized industrialization programs for the southern states. Yeah, I figured we can't have them all resentful down there. Who knows what might happen? Hmm. 3. Order to State Department to split domestic branch into new interior department with priority shift from forced Indian relocation to integrated multi multicultural? Is that a word? It is now. You're the president. Settlement in Western Territories. Four. Yes, Jim, I've read it. We don't have to go through it all. Is the whaling ban listed? Yes, sir. Patent application for Jefferson's new efficient solar electricity generator? Yeah, number 17. Opinion from Chief Justice John Marshall that the Second Amendment only pertains to militias in periods of crisis, uh, such as this war right now, and has nothing to do with the individual right to bear arms? Yes, it's right there, Mr. President. It also says at the bottom, Dear Dolly, you'll find these items in a sealed envelope in the Louis XIV... Uh, Louis the Fourteenth. Of course. Louis the Fourteenth sideboard in the di dining room. Ah, thank heavens. I think the dining room is still intact. The sideboard? Uh, yeah, Dolly. You remember we had the buffet on it when the Adams called in June? The one in the dining room? Yeah, the sideboard cabinet in the dining room. It's not there. Uh, what? It's not there. I... I had them bring it into this room. Into this room? But everything in this room is... Burned to ashes, yes. But, uh... Darling, why? Why, Jim dear? 
so that we could reach the Lansdowne. The Lansdowne? The Lansdowne's portrait of George Washington, of course. I could not reach it, so I had Paul and Mr. Sussant bring the sideboard in. We climbed on it to get the portrait off the wall. My dear, I had to rescue the image of the father of our country. I mean, think of what the future of America would be if they were consigned to the flames. Of course, Dolly, my balloon beloved. Oh, these are just ideas after all. Someone will certainly have them again, and soon, but uh, art is irreplaceable. When the mansion is rebuilt, I think the portrait should go over there, on the west wall this time. Yeah, great idea. Uh, have a care, Mr. President. That corner is clearing up again. I think it's best to go through the building. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Jennings, you can just throw that list on the fire. Hmm. Multiculturalism. Huh. Who'd have thought? Would it be fair to say that he would be in higher esteem if he had not come after Jefferson, who pretty much is uh, <laughs> mythologized to the point of being a deity? I mean, I do think he does get overshadowed in a lot of ways, like coming right after Jefferson. Like you sort of like know the first three presidents and then it gets fuzzy until Lincoln. And <laughs> so that that is really unfortunate. Well, there's also the whole White House burning down thing. Which is awesome. We, we do not... <laughs> We do not talk about that. No, we actually talk about that a lot. Oh, it's the centerpiece of what we're doing. I was going to say, it's actually, right, I think it's the thing that most people know about Madison's presidency is that the British burned down the White House and his wife had to save a portrait of George Washington and the silverware. So, I mean, really, like, what most people know about Madison's presidency is that his wife is awesome and isn't afraid of fire. Which is what you should know (laughs) in American history is awesome ladies who aren't afraid of fire and do what needs to be done. Wasn't it true that Dolly Madison brought ice cream to the uh, White House and that she, in fact, was like the Jacqueline Kennedy of her day? Oh, Oh, definitely. So fashionable. So you're saying that she killed Zachary Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, fine. Because of the ice cream. Ah. Sure, fine. That's foreshadowing, That's foreshadowing. Oh, I think if, I think everyone in our audience knows that Zachary Taylor died from tainted ice cream. I think I think that's a common historical fact, right? Oh, wait, you guys did didn't know that? Or did his wife kill oh, him? Oh, boy, do we. <laughs> but no, she was very cosmopolitan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she was kind of the first celebrity wife. Sorry, Abigail Adams, but... She Not re- fancy enough. Right, she really was the first celebrity wife of We got the Adams referencing. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Except but, it was Abigail and not John, but that's fine. So much better. Well, plus, unlike, unlike Abigail, it seemed that most people seemed to like Dolly Madison. Yes. People really... I mean, she really was, honestly, the life of the White House. Mm-hmm. James Madison, you know, was not known for his engaging personality uh, or he was his, a man of ideas. Right. He was not known for his uh, rip-roaring parties. Um, <laughs> right? He really relied on Dolly Madison to be the life of the White House. So, I mean, ironically, so Joe will get the joke, Dolly Madison was the hostess. 
<laughs> so how did someone as chic as Dolly Madison uh, <laughs> fall for uh, James Madison? Did she fall for him or was it a marriage of convenience? <laughs> I mean, you can't assume I mean, right at that time. But you mean, can't assume at that time that like all of these marriages are marriages of like great burning passion and love. I mean, she, right? she was the she was like the most eligible bachelorette of Washington at the time being a wealthy young widow which, the best as we've established is the best guy <laughs> and wasn't and, madison so shy that he had to send his uh <laughs> love notes to her via was it hamilton or burr i thought neither <laughs> because if i want love notes said i'm gonna use hamilton who <laughs> who was such a tomcat yeah right he's gonna <laughs> right he's just gonna open friends. them up and start reading them like they're his do a little cyrano de bergerac situation over hey. here not that hamilton needed that i suppose but um, no, but I, you know, I will say, and this is not supposed to be a dig on Dolly Madison, right? But in some ways, the mar- her marriage to James Madison, and and I don't know this to be right, her only motivation, um, because I'm unfortunately shocker here, not a Dolly Madison expert, right? My expertise is post-war environmental and urban history, so. <laughs> And, and that's, she is. And she's that's, not involved in either. Right, yeah, and that's post-World War II, not post-Revolution. It was not uncommon for women, especially mm-hmm. widows, who had means of their own to make very strategic alliances. Um, and so it's, in some ways, it's to her power to be able to choose who she's going mm-hmm. to marry. And it's if that's her choice, right? A very uh, up-and-coming political power, right? The father of the Constitution, right? Okay, fine. Five foot four is not that impressive, but... <laughs> Get him lifts. It's fine. Right. It's, it's do what we work. need to do. Um, so to, to some extent, right? Good on her from choosing a very strategic uh, marriage mm-hmm. for her and him. I mean, and it obviously he was an important figure in the country. He became president. And so giving her, you know, a lot more power than she would have had in other situations. I mean, I think it's not a, you know, not a stretch to say that while Dolly Madison wasn't technically the first lady, she is, you know, the first lady as we know first ladies today. Um, and having this responsibility. She was a Slovenian? <laughs> <laughs> having this responsibility of uh, playing the hostess, of being this presence of the White House um, and and being this public face of the presidency um, that we sort of, of America. see. And yeah, and of America Truly. as a whole that we see, uh, you know, the first lady as embodying today. Mm-hmm. And now, welcome back to your favorite reality show about the catty bitches who married our leaders, Real White Housewives. <laughs> What do you mean we can't call it that? Why not? Oh, yeah, I see. Um, <clears throat> Welcome back to Real First Ladies of Washington. Let's meet the catty bitches. Wife of fourth U.S. President James Madison, Dolly. Hi. Little known fact, Dolly made her fortune with a website that allows married men to have affairs. Spicy. Wait, that's not her? Then who is... Oh, that's Ashley Madison? Oh. Well, then who am I... Oh. Anyway, Dolly Madison. Aren't there supposed to be others? (laughs) Well, you're the first first lady, so not yet. Oh, well, I suppose I am. I am the first mistress of the White House. I doubt that. Oh, stop you. James can barely handle me. 
Besides, the executive mansion has only been called the White House since it was rebuilt after the British burned it down. Dolly? Dolly? Uh, it's the Dolly. Uh, what? Oh, 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 I'm, so, I'm sorry. Did I do it again? What were we talking about? You are credited with creating the role of the First Lady as the hostess of the nation, an ambassador of sorts. Oh, yes, I am. I fulfilled that role even for Thomas Jefferson for a time. Oh, how scandalous. Oh, you. <laughs> the man was a widower, after all. The poor dear was left all alone in this world. Just him and his many, many, many slaves. So many slaves. So many slaves. So, the other presidential wives didn't host parties? Not with my flair, darling. Lady Washington, God rest her, hosted a few gatherings. And Abigail Adams, huh? Well, what was wrong with Abigail? Oh, well, she was just so involved in her husband's business, you understand. Must have been embarrassing for John. You know, they called her Mrs. President. Ah, can you imagine? Can you just... just... Oh, Dolly! Oh, oh, my apologies. Now I, on the other hand, held stunning soirees, regular events where anyone who was anyone came, regardless of their political affiliations. My White House was the first truly bipartisan social space in our capital's history. Now the network insists that I say this to lure in the kids, but were your parties, as they say, fire? Fire! Where? Uh, is someone going to go check on her? All right, join us next time when we talk with the wife of our fifth president, Marilyn Monroe. Oh. Out for the love of... Lots of early exchanges in American history, you know, letters about the Constitution pamphlets going back and forth were really just Madison talking to himself. He ghost wrote <laughs> a lot, did he not? Yes. Yeah, I think my favorite was uh, I believe he, he ghost wrote a State of the Union and then also Congress's response to the State of the Union and then also the President's response to that response. <laughs> he just had a lot of opinions. I mean, and also, of course, we can't forget that Madison was one of the, you know, people writing the Federalist Papers. I realistically probably wrote most of them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Is that, I thought, I thought Hamilton wrote most of them, or did, oh, well. did Madison? Hamilton wrote the most, but Madison was close behind. John Jay only wrote five. John, John Jay just, like, snuck in there and was like, I hate hey, too. He was sick, John, okay? John Jay was like, it's shake and bake, and I helped. And you're like, no, you didn't, John Jay. All he you did was, was shake sick. up the container, okay? You didn't do shit. You're... <laughs> I feel like that's just a I'm lot of John, John Jay's. Jay right now. He was ill. All I'm saying is that he, yeah, you're ill. You have lots of time to write. You're just sitting in bed. John Jay just like sneaking in and like declaring things and then dropping the mic and walking out. <laughs> Jemmy Madison himself was, yeah, a man of ideas. And from, you know, the, what I've read about him, he had a little trouble understanding his opponent's point of view. He figured... I'm right. I'm Jemmy Madison. Why doesn't everybody see the truth? Is would, would that is that a fair assessment? I mean, that's how I feel about my opinions too. So, <laughs> fair point, James Madison. Fair point. I think he does 
in some ways like like his mentor Jefferson, mm-hmm. right? Jefferson famously, and we didn't talk about this in the last episode, uh, but Jefferson famously was beyond inconsolable when the Continental Congress changed words, single words in the Declaration of Independence because he chose exactly the right word in his mind, right? And so to some extent, Madison's uh, inflexibility is not that unusual. But also, I think in some ways, uh, maybe we overestimate it, right? He's the father of the Constitution, And in order to create the Constitution that we have, he had to make a lot of concessions that he did not want to make. Um, And so the Constitution is not the Virginia plan. There there were compromises (laughs) that had to be made. (laughs) Thank God. Largely the Virginia plan, but not entirely. Um, Right. And so to to say that he is inflexible, I think, is um, perhaps not as accurate. But to say that he thought he was always right, I I would believe that. Yeah. But his idea of right... (laughs) Does it kind of change back and forth depending on the situation? I actually don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know uh, James Madison's uh, flip flopping record. I feel like Madison's presidency does get overshadowed a lot by yeah. the War of eighteen twelve. Right? It was only two years of his presidency. In some ways, I like and right unpopular opinion here. Maybe all you historians out there, I like to think that his greatest achievement is supporting the American system, right? Mm. The system of internal improvements in the United States, which Mm. really allows the United States to have better connectivity and better markets. I mean, that really, by not standing in the way, and yes, it was proposed by Henry Clay, who I'm a big Henry Clay fan, just because he's hilarious, right? He just is the perennial loser. And so in some ways, like the biggest achievement of the Madison presidency is not getting in Henry Clay's way and allowing the American system to happen. I mean, and I don't I don't think that we should, you know, just say, oh, he took us into this war and it was unnecessary and so he wasn't a good president. I mean, Madison is pretty unanimously considered to be an above average president. Like he I mean, the bar is like not super high at some level, but like the- <laughs> he was no Andrew Jackson. He was no Chester A. Arthur. But- I mean, yeah, he, he was no Franklin Pierce. Yeah, not to shit on Millard Fillmore and uh, Gerald Ford again, hey. but you know, you know, again, but he, you know, he's above the. He's above the average. He's above the the norm there on sort of achievements as a president. So he wasn't a complete idiot and just got us into unnecessary wars, though. He, he and wasn't well, it was kind of riding war. on well, the uh, uh, Iowa founding father fumes. I, I would I, see. I would argue that that that's not really the case. I would argue that he's a good president because he was one of he was the first president who was a member of Congress, mm-hmm. and so relied on Congress for big decisions. Right? He helped. He was the father of the Constitution, and he went by that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really fair point. And again, I guess this is a bit of a pre-presidency achievement. But, I mean, Madison did essentially write the Constitution. Like, obviously, again, with the Declaration of... Same with the Declaration of Independence. Like, other people helped. It wasn't just him. But the bulk of the constitution was Madison's brainchild. And so he did really believe in this separation of powers. He believed in having the pieces of the government being equal and having equal power. So he was going to rely on Congress. He was going to allow Congress to make decisions because 
he really that was their that job. Was, yeah, that yeah. was their job, and that was appropriate. And the the president should not be a supreme monarch. That there should be these checks and balances that that he had advocated for. And in some ways, I think that's what makes Madison a great president. Right? Mm-hmm. He understands the office's limitations, perhaps better than most. As we wind this down, because it feels like the energy is winding down on Madison as a president. Um, no, never. I'll talk about the American system forever. Well, actually, I want to go back to the fire. And <laughs> Long the live Henry Clay. Because you mentioned New York. I mean, wasn't there a point where, I'm, I'm trying to recall, there were there were sort of moments where D- Washington, D.C. was may not have become the capital, and maybe that was sort of oh, yes. a moment. Where, so in some ways, I mean, what was that? how perilous a moment was that? For the, uh, the burning for the of fire. D.C. and in for the burning of the White House, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, was there, were we in any real... We were case? already pot committed at that point. Yeah, it's, I mean, even the British acknowledged that they didn't have to do this. This was a symbol, right? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. They understood the power of a symbol, of a good symbol, like any uh, empire. <laughs> um, and they understood... Just a little object lesson for you. <laughs> right? They understood that this would be the ultimate message that they could send without actually hurting anyone. And we got back at them by getting Francis Scott Key to write the National Anthem. Well, I, th- Great. I mean, I, th- I think we got back at them by then rebuilding the executive mansion as the White House that we know today, which is... So much more impressive and cool looking. Way better. Yes, much better. Thanks for the opportunity, Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Suck on it, Britain. (laughs) DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chue, Sylvia Mann, Robert McCarthy, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Pagola, Sandy Bakowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Jouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. The Electables concept was created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com, and follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Don't forget to comment and like us wherever you've downloaded this podcast.